Welcome to Game Changers, a podcast about trailblazing West Australian women and their contribution to the wonderful game of soccer. This collection was produced and developed by the Centre for Stories and the State Library of Western Australia. Together, we are sharing stories that reflect our state's rich heritage, diversity and history. The interviews you're about to hear were recorded on Wajak Noongar Buja, and we pay our respects to their elders, traditional custodians and knowledge keepers who are the first storytellers of this place. In the lead-up to Perth hosting some of the games for one of the world's largest sporting tournaments, the FIFA Women's World Cup Australia and New Zealand 2023, we hear stories from local women who rose up against inequality and stereotypes to champion the game of soccer as far back as the 1970s. We hear from elite athletes, past and present, considered to be the best in the game, both locally and globally. And we hear from the community role models who are courageously making soccer more accessible and equitable for future generations of women, young girls and newcomers of all genders to the game. Sports media journalist Chris Morano sat down and heard why self-belief, sacrifice and strength is what it takes to become champions of soccer. In today's episode, Chris talks to the goalkeeper for the Paramatildas, Caitlin Smith. Founded in 2019, the Paramatildas is Australia's first national team for women and girls with cerebral palsy, acquired brain injury and symptoms of stroke. Caitlin recently won the inaugural Paramatildas Player of the Year and goalkeeper of the tournament after a silver medal winning run in their first International Women's World Cup campaign in 2022. This is Caitlin. Um, my earliest childhood memory would be just kicking the ball around. I would have been under eight at the time. We were just training. And I only remember it because it really, it really hurt my knee that day. <laughs> I fell over in a pothole. Oh, no. It really hurt my knee. But I think that was the first time. That was my earliest memory of kicking a soccer ball around with the boys. I played with Huawei Football Club on the Central Coast in New South Wales. So I was a part of them from the age of five till 16, 17. So I played with them, I think, for 12 years straight. Um, I played with the boys up until 15 and then because of the age back then you had to move from the 16s, you had to move to the ladies division. There was Mm -hmm. no mixed, it was just men's and ladies. So I decided to move to ladies and then the year after that I decided to take a break from football. So what is it about soccer that kept you playing all those years? Um. I think it's like a big adrenaline rush when you're on the field. So much running. As a kid with ADHD, you like running. So just running up and down the field was great. Um, had a good bunch of boys that I was with from the under fives till about the under 14s. Pretty sure I was a left back growing up playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Definitely wasn't goalkeeper, but I was a left back or a left mid because I've got two older brothers who are quite close in my age so we're I'm 96 my brother's 95 my other brother's 94 so 
they started playing soccer. But I wanted, because I was, I grew up with them, I was such a rough nut. So I wanted to play rugby league, but back then the girls weren't allowed to play. Mm. So I had to stay with soccer. Growing up with them and I was really close to my brother that was a year older than me, not quite a year older than me, um, really helped in becoming rough, really. It's actually quite good because especially when you start versing new teams, they don't expect you to be rough a match match them on the field and when you do they're just like in shock <laughs> so it's like I remember having hernia operation I was 11 and the doctor told me six weeks that I wasn't allowed to kick a ball or do anything and I was still on the sideline the next week going can I play and the coach was like I don't think so <laughs> yeah Jeremy <laughs> Timon yeah 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 I was definitely there on the weekend and then I would always back up for my brother's team's on the weekend. So I was ended up playing like four or five games every weekend. So from 15, what happened from there? You said you took a bit of a break and then I, did you start playing again? I developed really, really bad asthma at that age where I was spending more time in hospital than out of hospital. Um, okay. I took a very medical route, shall I say. So I wasn't able to do the things that I used to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent quite a lot of time in hospital, in ICU, um, on a lot of medications that made me put on a lot of weight, um, and they didn't know the causes and the reasonings behind it, but I just physically wasn't able to do what I used to do. Mm -hmm. So I had to take a step back, seeing specialists, trying to figure out what's going on. So I decided just to stop it my body was obviously going through enough and decided to um try and get my health under control and i think i took two years complete break from soccer i decided didn't decide i got asked to go try out for futsal from a company back in new south wales where they have an intellectual disability team go to nationals and stuff so i did mm-hmm. that that was just one week a year and then wasn't till i was 20 that I decided to go back to the soccer mm-hmm. um, and then I played for a year had a year off played for another year and then I haven't played with the club since then so it's about three years since I played with the club on yeah weekend. okay well you've had a big soccer journey yeah yeah so I just want to talk about your disability for a minute can you tell us about your disability and how that comes into playing soccer as well, maybe have. So I have multiple disabilities. I'm autistic, have intellectual disability, I have cerebral palsy, and I'm legally deaf as well. Okay. So having CP, having intellectual disability allows you to compete at the national stage, mm-hmm. but it doesn't allow females to compete at a world stage. It does for men, but not okay. for women yet. Uh, for CP, we have the privilege of, competing at at a world stage as of last year they decided to the men's have a para ruse team and the females decided we wouldn't incorporate the paramatildas which is the female cerebral palsy team yeah that allows us now to compete at the world champs adrian cup represent our country in the football that we love growing up mm-hmm. not thinking girls with cp would ever be able to get the chance mm-hmm. to do that is 
which is great. Being autistic, having intellectual disabilities, I've had that since a young age. Um, my CP hasn't really come into effect until I started getting sick and being on life support and actually having a severe, severe asthma attack where I was clinically dead for seven minutes um, oh, wow. has brought more medical complexity out in me. So my CP wasn't relevant until then. Before that, I was just known as a clumsy kid who would just fall over. Mm-hmm. But after that and all these other things happened, we went to a virologist, we got diagnosed with CP. Um, but, yeah, and I've become legally deaf in the last two years. Soccer's helped me in the in the aspect of there's other people out there with cerebral palsy who love football as well. And to get around people like ourselves, who we don't judge each other, we're really good around each other, we never talk about anyone else's um, capabilities and not capabilities. We're all there for each other. It's opened up uh, this whole this whole aspect of your life where you enjoy going to camps, you have good time. You meet other people from around the world who have similar experiences like yourself and stuff like that. So it's pretty good. Get to meet people that you wouldn't even dream about meeting one day. They're just like a dream or a, a thought. But then when it actually hit, like comes into reality, it's really, really good. So how did the opportunity to play with the pair of Matildas come about? Can you take us back to that moment? Well, Living back in New South Wales, we had Charlotte running our New South Wales program and because we weren't in the talks of having a t- team at the time, but the boys, Paris had a team and they could um, they went to training and she thought that we could have a girls' training session. So we went to, I think I went to the second New South Wales all-girls training thingy. And then it kind of died down after that. COVID hit, nothing was said, anything more about it. And then they decided to announce a team at the beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. So the Parapetilders so came into the Football Australia community. Um, we're a known team now. We're a national team and we're going to be go competing at the World Cup in the 10 weeks. Yeah. From exactly. the announcement to the World Cup. Yeah. So you went to but you went to the training or like to be able to yeah. be considered. So when you register for Football Australia, there's parts in the section where you can click your disabilities. And anyone who clicked a disability would then I think the way it went was you either knew someone from a different sport mm-hmm. or it just went up on the Facebook and it's like anyone with an ABI, so acquired brain injury, stroke like symptoms or CP can come and join this training day. It was more about developing or figuring out what the girls can and can't do and trying to adapt the activities, drills to what we can do mm-hmm. um, was, I think, the biggest challenge. But we were just there with other girls like ourselves and just having good time, meeting new friends. I think no one thought of anything of it apart from we're playing soccer, we're training soccer with soccer with people like ourselves. So... Mm-hmm. We met. I've met a couple of good friends, lifelong friends from the trainings and stuff like that. So it's been quite good. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, what is the team culture like and what's the makeup of the team like? How many players are there? So we're a five-a-side team, so five players in the field, four players and a goalkeeper, but we take 10 away with us. Um, so we're a 10-man team, 10-woman um, team. <laughs> um, that So we picked 10 to travel with us. We have a squad of, I think, 25, 26 people who have CP or ABIs who are a part of the extended Primatilda's family group. Um, so we have camps and we roughly invite 15, 16 girls to each camp. I think you mentioned there's a, is it, there's a WhatsApp group that yeah. keeps all of you connected while you're here in Paris. Yes, so we have a WhatsApp group with any activities coming up or stuff like that, but it keeps us connected as well. So we all wish each other happy birthdays and happy Christmases and all this on this group chat. Yeah. What was Spain like? Can you tell us, um, was that the World Cup or what yeah, was so that in Spain? Sol- Spain salute last year, May, we went to the World Cup. Um, there was an experience. Us girls went in with five teams, um, five teams that have never played a world stage before we're all new but we got we formed really good friendship with the netherlands girls actually we would be out on the at the end of every night where we stayed they had like this happy hands that was a um like say a resort a resort mascot so where we stayed a happy hand it just said happy on each finger and it was um, was the resort mascot. So he would come out on the pool every night and do like this singing and dancing. And us and the Netherlands girls formed a pretty good relationship on and off the field, which was really good. Um, I mean, by the end of it, we're all quite happy talking to each other off the field mm-hmm. uh, between the countries and that. Mm-hmm. So, and if we were to walk past each other in the um, in the resort, it would be really good. Like we would say hello, we'd be, become really friendly. But then once we hit that field, it was just like a flicker switch. We were like competitive. And yeah. it'd be number one. <laughs> but it was yeah. great. We all laughed and giggled at the end of it. We had fun. Even when you're away representing your country, just that time away just to talk to your friend about life mm-hmm. is, is what you need. Tell us about goalkeeping. Because I know you didn't you didn't start as a goalkeeper, and that was something you evolved into. Who is the person who suggested that you should start goalkeeping? I did play a little bit of goalkeeping back when I played in the mix. That's because one of the, the goalkeepers got hurt, and I was the little sucker that put my hand up and said, "I'll have a try." But I never really played it properly. I played it a couple of games, and then. When I got sick and with my really bad asthma, I lost the ability to run the field like I used to be able to. So I stuck myself in goals after I left school. Um, but I did play goalkeeper for futsal, but I never had a training session or a coaching session or anything. I was just had the natural ability to not be scared of a ball. Mm. So you become quite good at goalkeeper because you're not scared to get the ball. But it wasn't until... We had our training camp last year that our coach, Kelly, put out a group thing and say, like, what positions do you girls play and stuff like that? And I just – I said left back, but I do know how to play goalkeeper. Well, 
that was a mistake. <laughs> a good mistake. I think that happens with every team if someone puts their hand up to go. Okay. It, it was, I mean, it was a great mistake in the fact that I had my first goalkeeper training session six weeks before I flew to Spain. Um, I learned a lot in that short time with Kim being my left-hand lady, shall we say. I wouldn't have gotten anywhere without Kim. She's our trainer. She's our goalkeeper coach and assistant manager. She she taught me a lot in the six weeks and when we were in Spain. And so being fairly new and not understanding and going from a big field to a small field and then lucky enough the futsal size goals and our goals are the same size but still not understanding where to stand and how to position yourself mm-hmm. to find out I wasn't even catching a ball properly. I was catching them but just I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I learned to what going back watching the games again after we got back I learned a lot watching myself play, mm-hmm. going, what was I thinking? Like, I need to be more spatially aware of where my goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a great experience learning in goalkeeping. And then finally this year, I've become really comfortable in playing it. I think I've come a long way since I started really training for it and having a lot of doubt that I couldn't be really good. But now seeing that, so 12 months ago, I couldn't even dive for a soccer ball. It was hopeless. Couldn't do it. Um, but now having that capability and being comfortable in doing it. I think what puts a lot of people off from being goalkeeper is you let the ball in. So I had a lot of problems with this when in Spain and versing America and just in general, letting the ball in, you're like, oh, like I've just let them score. But then at the end of the day, it's got to get through the rest of the players. And I think that's the hardest thing as a goalkeeper to learn and understand. Yes, you've let the ball in, but there's all these other things that contribute to you than letting the ball in. Like it's it's like a whole team effort for the ball to go in. Mm. So I think that's why... Some people get put off it and also getting a ball built to that 200 miles an hour is not great at all. Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy what goalkeepers go through. Didn't yeah. realise it until actually we got to Spain and I was like, oh, this hurts. And then we had national football, a national CP champs last October and we had to play boys because it's a mixed league. We played boys and I was like, I said to my Australian coach after Kelly, I was like, it hurts being a goalkeeper sometimes. Because I got absolutely annihilated. Yeah, yeah I had yeah. bruises all up and down my legs. I was yeah. just so sore. But at the end of the day, it was like a good adrenaline thrill seek, right? It was great. Mm. You told me, so there's the element of being selected for the Paramatildas in terms of skill. Yeah. But you said it is extra hard because of the grading and certification process. Can you tell us how that works for people who might not understand so, yes, it is harder to be selected for an Australian CP team as we have different classes in our in our team makeup. So we have a one, two, and three. So 
So we have an FT1, FT2 and FT3. So an FT1 is your least abled. So people generally who have um, hemiplegia on one side, which is really bad, or they've got CP in all four or just affecting their legs. Um, and then TF3 is your more abled. So maybe just a minor limb affected or a stroke, but they're not really... They're just more capable. So your ones are your lower class and then your threes the higher, more able class. But there's rules in the in the soccer. You can only have one TF3 on the field at all times and you must have at least one TF1 on the field at all times. Okay. So you can have one TF1 and then the rest T2s or you can have one TF1, one TF3, and the rest TF2s. Okay. But you could be the third or fourth best player on the team, but if you're a TF3 and three or four in front of you are TF3s, Mm -hmm. you may not get selected because you can only take so many through to you to the World Cup because you can only field one TF3 at the same time. Okay. So you can't take ten away and five of them be TF3s. Yeah. Because it just wouldn't make logic sense. Yeah. Anyone can play any amount of time on the field but you don't want the same tf1 playing every minute of every game because they're least capable they're going to get tired i'm a tf2 and i die after two games Mm. so you need to have that variety so we don't get tired okay so it's energy management yeah Yeah. so we fatigue as cp athletes we fatigue a lot faster than say an able board team Mm -hmm. and we have to do so much more recovery to help ourselves body heal for the next day. Mm-hmm. And I think because of us girls all having CP, like we're all having CP, but a lot of the girls hadn't been to a hot humidity country before, so we didn't know how to recover properly. Okay. So we were all working by the end of it. But when selecting a team, I think it's not even about selecting really players, it's how do we cope with fatigue levels mm. and stuff like that? So for me, it's about getting in a pool. Okay. Um, some athletes After a match. Yeah, yeah. Some athletes or training sessions, some athletes might go for a massage. Some might just go and have a sleep. Everyone has different techniques on weight, how to manage fatigue. Mm. And this reminds me of what you were saying when you joined the Paramatildas that you wanted the staff or the whole team to get to know you as a person. Yeah. But that wasn't in place when you just So can you tell me about how you led that initiative to make that happen? Because we're still so new, it was it was just different. Like the staff were getting to know us, we were getting to know the staff. Um, so... We all had to find, and because I'm still learning and understanding my CP, it was quite different different in the way that I'd never been on a way on a trip where I'd had these sort of reactions and getting to know my body a lot in Spain was really, really hard. Okay. So with the Paramatildas actually going into Spain, we had five pages we have to fill out, didn't we, of things we need, things that 
we don't. So one of the questions was, what do you need? This is one of the things that I was trying to get involved in the WA program. But one of the questions going into Spain on the Paramatildas thing was, how can we help? And I just said, I'm autistic. Let me have a meltdown. <laughs> so, I mean, they were, the Australian team were actually really good in helping us girls in that sort of way. Um, but we pretty much, we all had one-on-ones going into Spain to figure out what we needed and what they could do to help us. Mm-hmm. So we were we were actually really good understanding what people needed, most CP athletes. But like I said, I was still trying to figure out myself and how things could help me. And you've talked about Kelly, your coach, being a really big support and that she's someone that you can be really open and honest with. Yeah. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about her coaching, her leadership and how she really helps support the team? So Kel's coaching is is good in the aspect of she knows what she's doing, she's really good at her job and she knows how to get the best out of each player. She knows their limitations, she knows how to develop them in a way that I don't know how to develop myself. And giving that encouragement and talk is just like no like she sometimes she's brutally honest with me goes Caitlin no just you're going to do it this way like we know you can do it and stuff like that whereas those talks they go oh maybe actually someone believes in me so she's really good at those pep talks I think (laughs) or sometimes she'll be like Caitlin grow up (laughs) I'm like oh yes girl (laughs) But you need those sometimes. And I think she just understands us athletes on a better level than some other coaches. Like when you're not competing internationally, you're based here in Perth and most of the team is on the East Coast. And so you've been training or being part of the Fremantle City Football Club and maybe some others. But you talked a lot about how those girls really welcomed you in as well and help you realise yeah, so the girls, how good you are at what, what you do. The girls at the Fremantle City Club are really, really good. They, um, they're really easy to talk to, actually. And me, being myself, don't like talking to people at all that I don't know. Um, so the girls are really good. They say hello all the time. Um, Faye's a really good coach and leader. Um, I think she brings something different to the table in a good way as well. So they're really welcoming in the sense that they didn't see me as different, I don't think, training alongside them. But it's a different avenue because they're all, shall we say, abled. They don't have a disability. But seeing what they're capable of goes, oh, maybe just that one day I can be more like them and to try and match it with them pushes me that much further. Mm -hmm. Just the way they move the ball I think gives me a lot of insight, especially playing playing as a goalkeeper. I can, the way they structure their field, I look at it and go, I can easily change that or adapt that to be a smaller field Mm -hmm. and try to get, and then I can lead our girls into this is how we need to 
be kind of structured at that. But then when I think that, Kel does it at the next camp anyway. <laughs> so learning and then learning how to communicate what I want on the field is getting a lot better too with them because I thought I was screaming loud enough, but apparently not. So and the way they talk to each other, I've brought that onto my game. So maybe not so rust when I'm speaking to them, if that makes sense. Yep. But be more nicer. I trained with Fremantle. I trained with the WA Para program and I also trained with two halves football in Tubular. So they're a one-on-one session that I do with them twice a week. Yep. And then I do gym as well. Monday, Wednesday and Fridays seem to be pretty full-on. Not enough time in my day to do anything on those days. Tuesday, I go to swim group. And then Thursdays, I do sweet nothing. Mm-hmm. So I start making out of my bed. Yeah. I'm just that tired and sore and sleep in. But the last couple of weeks, it's just mayhem, training, train, train, train. I want to talk about the Women's World Cup and the Para-Asia Cup as well, um, because that's coming up very soon and that. That is a first, is yes. my understanding, which yes. is very exciting. Yeah, like how are you feeling with that coming up, going into that competition, and what kind of change do you hope it will create for the game? Um, so the Para-Asian Cup is coming here to Melbourne in November. Um, I think I think that will bring massive changes along the east side. Um, I'm not sure how far it will reach here, but knowing that we get to be seen in Australia is great. Um, We never thought we would have a team and then to have a Para-Asian Cup here in Australia is great. Um, I would love to see massive changes in the aspect of, Para soccer. I think having a women's team now is going to just drive that more and having the Women's World Cup here is just going to drive that level of girls with any ability, any ages in the soccer community. Just, I think it will drive it up so much and I'm hoping big things come out of having hosting both of them here in Australia. I mean, just got there, have a go. It is a long road to get to where you'll go. There is a lot of challenges, a lot of ups and downs. But at the end of the day, if you do reach your goal, it's the best the best thing you could ask for. Um, it's not easy in any means. Um, there's probably more downs than ups. But once you get there and once you get that, that drive and hunger for it, that's all you really need. I mean, if I didn't have my older brothers, I probably never would have started it. Mm-hmm. Be yourself. Like, don't don't change anything for anyone. Just be your yourself. Mm-hmm. Do what you love. Have fun. Just be yourself. Being a woman in today's society, I mean, it's a lot better than what it was back in the day. Um, as we all know, 
I've met some of the Matildas from the first World Cup they ever had and they said it's come a long way in the sense that we get a lot more opportunities than we used to. We're starting to break down the barriers and become somewhat more advancing up with the males in our society. But, I mean, considering we're only a year and a bit formed as a team, we get the same amount in camps as the boys. We get very similar opportunities with the boys on the world stage and the Para-Asian Cup. So we as Para-Matildas have come a long way. Mm. So we've done so much more than what the boys have done. We haven't done quite as much as the boys in the aspect that they've been here for 20-odd years, Mm -hmm. but we've done so much more and we're so much closer to their level in the 18 months that we've been a team compared to their 26 years, if that makes it. Yeah, that's amazing. Anything else you want to say that you think is important for the series? A big thanks to all the people behind the scenes who made the Parapodilics happen. I think without them, none of us, 10 athletes that went to Spain and all the 26 girls on the 20-odd girls on the Parapodilics roster would be here today. None of our friendships would have been formed. None of our really good friends and community wouldn't be here today. So it's been a massive achievement to get to where we are today and hopefully just building up from here and we're only going to get up and we're only going to get better, we're only going to get more girls included into the game and um, just lead by example. So do your best, but always just be yourself. Don't change who you are. Thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by the Centre for Stories. It was developed in conjunction with and funded by the State Library of Western Australia. Our organisations believe in storytelling as a way to build more inclusive communities. Head to slwa.wa.gov.au to listen to the rest of this oral history collection. Or head to centreforstories.com to learn more about our storytelling services and mission. Special thanks to our production team, script editor and executive producer Louisa Mitchell, that's me, producer and interviewer Chris Morano, and audio engineer Mason Bellios. Thank you.